The HD Insights Podcast is brought to you by the Huntington Study Group. The Huntington Study Group is a nonprofit research organization dedicated to conducting clinical research in HD and providing critical training on HD to healthcare professionals. Funding for this podcast is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you and sponsorship grants from organizations like Genentech, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, Vasinex, and Wave Life Sciences. Hello, and welcome to the HD Insights Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. As always, I'm Kevin Gregory, Director of Education, Communications, and Outreach at the Huntington Study Group, and your host for this program. On this episode, we are privileged to speak with Chandler Swope from the Huntington's Disease Youth Organization, or as they are more commonly known, HDEO. Chandler has been the Director of Youth Services for the past six years and has helped spearhead a number of key initiatives aimed at helping young people deal with the impact of Huntington's disease. She's a dedicated and compassionate advocate for families and is experienced with helping young people address family trauma and crisis. I thought it would be helpful to bring Chandler onto the podcast as we all continue to navigate these uncharted waters and uncertain times brought on by COVID-19. She shares her perspectives on helping people cope with stress and strategies to still feel a sense of connection despite the limitations of social distancing. Plus, we get to learn more about her background and work with HDO. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Chandler Swope. Well, Chandler, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the HD Insights podcast. Yeah, not a problem at all. Happy to be here. Um, before we get started, and I know there's a lot we want to cover um, in a little bit, talking about the, the impact of everything to do with the coronavirus and the impact that it's had on people's lives. But I, I did want to start um, a little bit more about your background. So you started with HDO in 2014. Can you tell uh, the audience a little bit, how, how did that opportunity come about for you? Um, actually, it's sort of one of those normal everything sort of fell into place. I was uh, currently looking to transition and work. Um, at that time, I was running the domestic violence hotline for the city of Washington, DC. So managing that program um, and working with families in a safe house. Um, and it was just sort of time for a career change, um, time to do something new. And it was actually a, a mentor of mine who came across the job posting before I had seen it. Um, and felt that it would be a good fit. Um, and I knew a little bit about HD, but I'll, you know, I came in very honest with, with the team at HDO to say I, I didn't know much about it, but I did know young people and families. That's where all my previous work had been. Um, but when I spoke with, with Matt um, back in the beginning, what really drew me to the position was just Matt's own story of creating HDO and how he used the impact of HD to sort of do more or sort of look to help others in the same situation. And that's something empowering young people and helping young people find their voice and their, their own strength in, in challenges is something that has always been very important to me. So being part of a team that that really was the the core of of the mission and the core of who HDO was on top of you know just professionally being able to help develop something from the ground up it really sort of just everything aligned at the right time um and so that was something i was very excited about 
And you really led the way with getting the uh, a number of the youth initiatives in place for HDO. Um, can you tell us about some of those uh, that have been uh, implemented and and what the journey was like getting those started up? Yeah. So when we brought this all together back in 2014, the goal was really to launch a professional youth service. So originally we focused on the mid-Atlantic region. So sort of Maryland, D.C., uh, Virginia, although that's a pretty big geographical area when you when you look at it all, um, working to have specific support for young people. And so to do that, it was working with the local clinics, um, so the centers of excellence and working in partnership um, with with all those that were already centers of excellence through HDSA or seeing HD patients, some of the smaller neurologists in the area to get families to know about the program, but also to change the the mindset that, you know, young people are part of this conversation. Young people have needs of their own that maybe they're not talking to their families about or, you know, how to get young people the right information. And so I spent a lot of those those early months. Well, what we first did, and I think one thing that I really appreciate is even though I'd been a social worker for many, many years, you know, they took me back to the beginning. I spent the first few months really learning about HD. So not just reading um, everything I could on our website and, and other websites, learning all the different nonprofits and groups that were working in the HD space, learning about what was currently going on, what had come before all of it, and speaking with some of the top names in research and science and treatment and, you know, Mary Edmondson and um, folks like that to really understand it from, from all sides of, of HD. So not just one person's experience, but really trying to get a sense of what is impacting young people in HD families. Um, and so from there, then working with families to sort of change the narrative, I think if you speak with any anybody in the HD community, whether it's a doctor or a genetic counselor or a social worker, we hear a lot about the stigma of HD and this history of secrecy um, and how to, how to have these tough conversations. And so having that conversation with parents about how do we then change the narrative for young people? Um, one of the things I always ask families is for parents or grandparents, it's how did you learn about HD? And a lot of times the stories aren't, aren't great. Um, it was either a secret or it was suddenly it was, you know, uh, came as a surprise or there had been sort of different stories floating in the family and that families hold on to that. And what we wanted to help do is change that narrative. So some of the, the bad things that can happen when learning about HD, we can change that by giving empowering families to take control of that discussion, making sure that when they go to talk to their children, they have the right resources, you know, because there are resources now, you know, a generation ago, there wasn't websites that were particularly um, appropriate for children. There weren't, um, different information for children, teens, and young adults, because again, where they are developmentally and educationally is different. So really making sure that families knew all of this existed. Um, and so that was really what what I came on, on board to do. And then one of our goals was to have a camp. Um, so camps have been running in Europe, um, either country specific or with multiple countries since I believe 2000. 
11, but it may be, it may have been 2009. I don't remember the exact year, but for quite a while. And so we wanted to create that experience um, for young people in North America. There had been some localized camps and different events through different chapters or groups, um, but we really wanted to bring camp to North America. So in 2015, we hosted our first camp and that was sort of a big, big undertaking of mine. Um, so that's been a project that I've now been working on um, for five years. So we work in partnership with the Huntington Society in Canada and HDSA here in the U.S. Um, and so we bring staff from both of those agencies, as well as we have a core group of volunteers that have been wonderful enough to come back. And we host about 45 to 55 young people every year. And we spend four to five days talking about HD. So talking about testing and genetic counseling and grief and loss and caretaking, um, as well as just being able to provide opportunities for professional support with social workers and other professionals at the camp, peer support, um, and just time to sort of relax and be a young person. Because again, we know that the responsibilities for many young people in HD families are different than their peers. So we also just want time to go swimming and rock climbing and have be able to sort of goof off a little bit because not everyone has that luxury at home, um, just depending on what their family situation is. What, uh, what surprised you the most after you first got engaged with, with youth and families in HD? I, I know you mentioned when you first started with HDO, they kind of took you back to the the beginning and gave you the overview and the training on the disease itself. But when you first, you know, when you first started interacting with these folks, was there anything that caught you by surprise or that you felt that, you know, you, you weren't really prepared to see, you know, in person? I think the biggest thing is really the, the resilience in the community. Um, you know, as a social worker, we learn a lot about meeting families where they are and, you know, there's all this information about um, how to help people sort of come out of situations. But if you talk to any social worker, there's many times where you sort of feel like the the burden is put on you. You're supposed to come in and, and fix things. Um, and, and really, whereas a social worker, you're taught to work alongside and, and be there to support whoever you're working with in, in achieving those goals. And the HD community, it sort of, that they embody that. They are right at your side. They're not asking you to do it for them. They're asking for support. They are, you know, pushing back against the things that may be barriers, but they're figuring out ways to overcome them. And I think, you know, from the outside, when you talk to somebody who's never heard of HD or you talk about what HD is, that sort of immediate reaction is, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And how could you, I can't even imagine. But when you talk to the families, you know, even in the hardest days, they're, they're willing to fight. They're willing to give more. They're willing to participate in research. They're willing to, you know, start something locally to raise awareness, to raise funds, to give back. And so it very much is as much as we know that it, it can really tear families apart in, in ways. One of the quotes that I heard um, from actually someone on our team at HDO is, you know, as much as HD has taken away from her, HD has brought her so much more. And I think that holds true for so many families in this community, because there is this bonding feature about HD. When we have camp, by the time we make it to the actual camp facility, after usually some hours in the airport and about an hour or so on a bus, 
these young people have shared bits and pieces of their story that they may have not shared with anybody, even in their closest circles, because they know that when they share that piece, somebody will understand it to some degree. Um, and somebody will, will empathize with it and not sort of feel sympathy for them. Um, and so it really is just the strength of the community because again, I think so many people from the outside would, would just feel defeated thinking about it. But when you talk to the community, they are, they are far from it. And if anything, with where we're at right now with, you know, potential treatments and trials, they're even more motivated to sort of keep pushing and keep fighting and keep raising awareness. You've, you've been doing this now for six years with HDO. What, what are some of the lasting, you know, personal relationships you've made with, with, um, people now? I I mean, I, you know, I know the focus is on youth, but, you know, as youth get older, do you still maintain those contacts? Are you still engaged with, with some of those folks that may have been kids when you started, but are now, you know, moving on into adulthood? Absolutely. I mean, I just, it makes me realize how old I'm getting. Um, but we do, we, we, there are young people that I've worked with since almost year one. Um, and so sort of watching them grow and transition and being there to celebrate the great moments in life and being able to support in the tougher moments. You know, we always joke that even though we have age limits on some of our services, you never really age out of, out of HDO. And what's great is that even if you're not coming to camp anymore. We've had campers come back and volunteer and become a volunteer. We know they've gone on to do things in their local community to join um, the local efforts of things. And so really being able to see that transition that you're, even if you're not a client of HDO, even if you're not able to come to camp because you've aged out, there's, there's always something we can do. You know, we, we, unfortunately, speaking of coronavirus, we had to postpone our, our Congress. Um, but that too was to really, one of the, our goals of Congress was to engage that sort of young adult cohort of people that sort of don't always have events specifically for them, right? So they're not necessarily seeing clinicians. They may or may not be eligible for research, but how do, you know, they're too old for most camps or events worldwide, no matter where they are, but how do we bring them together and give them that same opportunity for support? So, you know, it's great that we're able to, our services go up to 35. So it's a pretty, pretty broad age range. but those who, who sort of age out, if you will, we see them doing amazing things in their local communities, building resources for the families in their area and being able to stay in touch. You know, Some people have either joined our board or been able to volunteer with us in other capacities. So it's, it's great because you're always able to sort of stay in touch and see, see how things are going, which um, is, is good because you can, we're here or we're here to help them find the right resources if, if it's not HDO in that moment. I think one of the things that, that I wanted to mention and get your thoughts on that I, I know you've done for the Huntington Study Group specifically around our annual fa- family day gathering is you come in and you work with the hotel staff uh, in advance to help them prepare for interacting with and understanding um, people that may be symptomatic or, or dealing with effects of, of Huntington's disease. What, what have been some of the takeaways uh, that you've had from, from people that you've had the opportunity to, to train and give awareness to HD for the first time? I think it's, 
you know, it's that age old, we sort of tend to assume what people are not willing to do um, because we never, we often hesitate to ask. It's sort of human nature to not want to ask for help or not want to be a burden on someone. But, you know, in speaking with the staff and letting them know, so somebody may not say this, but they may need X, Y, or Z in this moment. They have been so appreciative of, of being able to be, you know, of more help to the families that come through. I think they appreciate understanding what's going on because, when we don't know what we're looking at, right? It's it's human nature to sort of stare and try to make sense of it in our heads. And so they feel more empowered to ask questions, to not be fearful of, of doing the wrong thing. And so if anything, I think it provides them the satisfaction that they're doing more for the people that come in, um, as well as it's helping raise awareness for HD in general. And for the families, it makes that day a little bit easier. It gives those caregivers if they know that the hotel staff is trained, if it's a sit-down meal to ask about allergies, it's one less thing they have to think about while they're there to get support. And so I think it gives everyone just a greater level of sort of ease and satisfaction in that moment because I think families sometimes are wary about big events because you can't, you're not in as much control. And as well, you know, with with HD in particular, I think staff here the word disease, they think everybody's sick, but they don't, but we all know that you can't always see Huntington's disease. You can't always understand that an individual is, is symptomatic or sick because they don't look symptomatic or sick. So helping this, the hotel workers or people outside the community understand that just broadens our awareness of, of how we treat people in day-to-day existence, that we don't always know what's going on with people. So if anything, we've just brought in general awareness of, of thinking about our surroundings on an everyday level. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen that firsthand and, and just how fantastic um, your efforts have been in, in helping just the hotel staff uh, around that particular meeting. Here's one other thing I, I also wanted to follow up with you. We spoke with Kat Martin uh, before the holidays on, on one of our earlier episodes. And one of the things she brought up was trying to break down the, the barriers of talking to children uh, about HD and the fact that, you know, historically there's always been this desire to shield and protect children from, from hearing the truth of it. But that's, that's the opposite position that HD, that she has taken and that HDO has taken that there's, there's truth to power. There's, there's a lot of power in knowledge. Um, talk about it from your perspective in, in the States and what you've seen working with families. Is that, is that a challenging thing to get them, to get parents to open up to kids about the risks or um, the, the issues with Huntington's disease? Or are you seeing that becoming more and more the norm that people are readily sharing what they can expect or what a parent may end up going through or what the the child may end up going through? Yeah, no, it's absolutely something that that HDO um, believes in and and pushes for is open and honest communication with, with, we say young people, but again, we're talking up into teens and even young adults. I think in some ways we're seeing a, a slow shift, but again with HD, because there is no one family story, there's there's always families or that you'll run across that still sort of 
have trouble having that conversation. And I think, you know, one of the things that I talk with parents about, again, this goes back to something I said earlier, when we find families that are very, very hesitant, one of the first questions I ask, like I said, is how did you learn about HD? Often what we find is their their experience of learning about it was traumatic in some way. Either there was a family secret that they uncovered on their own, they overheard it, something terrible happened, a, a fall or, or some other kind of medical emergency. Um, and depending on how old they were, that leaves a lasting impression. And even though it's easy to say, well, you have the ability to, to change that, when somebody's living with that burden, with living with the weight of how things played out for them, it can be really hard to pull themselves out to sort of see the picture from a, a different angle. Um, and that's when in all my work, I've worked with families in lots of different situations. It's, we tend to put blinders on. In some ways we think it's protecting ourselves, but sometimes it keeps us from doing things that may be beneficial, not only to ourselves, but to those in our family or those around us. And so that's one of the conversations I have, I have with parents. And we really have that conversation of, if you have the conversation, if you take control of this, you get to dictate how your family talks about HD, excuse me, how they learn about HD, um, and even where they get information, right? I tell families never, ever, ever, ever Google HD. Um, there's still things you can find that are, are out of date, are wrong, are inappropriate, right? Because the internet, you don't, you don't need permission to use the internet or post things on the internet. Anybody can get a website if they really want. Um, and so it's really important to make sure that families have those right resources so they feel confident in having those conversations, as well as the right resource, whether it's a local support group, the HDO Youth Service, we have support groups on, secret support groups on Facebook for young people and parents that are moderated. So again, we know that the information's appropriate and correct. Um, and, you know, reminding them that although we we think it's important to, we being HDO, to talk to children, they also know their children best. It is not us coming in as, as HDO, the quote unquote experts, telling them exactly how to do it. It's supporting them in that journey of they know their family, they know their children, um, and they know how, how it can work best once we give them some tools. And so it's really supporting families in that journey, not telling them this is what you need to do and you need to do it now, because that's not helpful with everything going on, but it's here's some tips, here's some resources. Obviously, we are really lucky to have Dr. Bonnie Hennig-Tressman on our board who wrote you know, a book on talking to kids that we can provide them insight and, and resources on. We are able through our parent group to connect them to other parents to say, you know, I was terrified, but I talked to my kids and actually it went really well. And now they want to be involved. Um, and I think we see that when we see the, the young people who are very involved in HD community are often the ones who sort of HD has always been a part of their story. It's something that is part of their normal it's part of their their life, and so it's they've they've just adapted as as this is part of what they deal with every day. Everybody has their normal, everybody has their their story, um, and so we what we try to promote is 
HD is part of theirs, but it doesn't define who they are. You know, if it spurs them to get involved, great. If it's a piece of information they have, but they choose to pursue other interests, that's also okay. Um, and so it is, there's no, you know, one size fits all version of this conversation, but it's, you know, getting to know families. And so I'll spend, I've spent years sometimes talking with parents before we talk with children or before even I meet the children, even if the parents are talking to them. And so it really is, there's an individualized approach approach to all of this. Um, but it's, again, making sure families then know where to go if there's questions they can't answer or how to connect young people so they're getting the support in the way they need support, which oftentimes is virtual because that's just where most of their lives are at this point. Now Chandler, is there, um, is there a place that people can go to for more information about HDO and, and the type of services that you guys provide? Yep, yep. www.hdyo.org. And that'll have links you can, they can write in questions, which we answer quite quickly. And we answer, it's myself or Matt or Kat. Um, and if we don't know the answers, we're reaching out to professionals to make sure we get the, the right information. So um, again, I'm not a genetic counselor. So if I get a question about genetic counseling, that isn't sort of a basic question I can answer. You know, we take the question, we de-identify it, we make sure we get a genetic counselor to get get their opinion on that question because that's not my my scope of expertise. Um, you can cr- directly connect to me if, if a family wants some support. It has links to our Facebook groups. It has links to our YouTube channel, which is full of, I think, really great videos, as well as there's a map so they can, if they're anywhere else in the world, they can connect with their local association and all the different different services that are going on in their area. We'll return to the interview on the HD Insights podcast in a moment. We hope that you're enjoying this episode. As a nonprofit organization, the Huntington Study Group relies on the generous support from the community and listeners like you to continue bringing you in-depth content on HD, like this podcast series. If you like what you're hearing and are interested in supporting HD Insights through a grant or donation, please contact us through our email address, info at hsglimited.org, or by calling toll-free at 1-800-487-7671. We greatly appreciate your support. And now, back to our episode. Chandler, I'd like to switch gears now to kind of the the the, ma- the major topic of the day uh, in these current times, and that's talking about the coronavirus and and COVID nineteen and the impact that it's having on everyone, but specifically around what the HD community and families can do. Um, you know, in addition to the you know the the stresses or the pressures they may already be under. Um, so just start out from there. So from your perspective, what are what are some of the strategies that that young people uh, from HD families can can do to to cope with the, that potentially added stress of everything that they're being bombarded with in the news stream, in addition to what they're already dealing with at home? So we. I just sort of had this conversation um, with young people yesterday. So actually one of the things HDO is doing in response to all this, because, um, you know, a lot of times I, I meet with individuals, at least locally, 
you know, face to face. A lot of events have been canceled in terms of youth retreats in the United States. Our Congress was canceled. Um, I think convention is going virtual. So a lot of these opportunities that they were looking forward to connect to connect with their their quote unquote HD family are no longer happening in the way they traditionally have happened. So one of the things that we've started is these weekly Zoom chats. So we just have an open link. It's on our Facebook page for young people. And it's just a time where myself or another HDO staff member is available and they can call in and we can talk about HD. We can talk about coronavirus or we can just talk and get that that socialization that many people desperately need. I think introverts are thriving in all of this, um, but the extroverts are are really struggling. Um, particularly if we have you know young people who are you know in college or out of college living alone. Um, you know there may be family members who they can't see because of concerns for their health. So if they have elderly grandparents. Um, they may not be able to go visit them right now because they want to protect their grandparents. Again, um, a couple of different groups have put out some really great information on whether or not there's a, a larger concern for somebody with HD and coronavirus. Um, I know HDSA sent an email, so did the Huntington Society of Canada. Um, and so those are great resources. If, if that's a concern, my understanding is, at least generally speaking, there's no increased concern unless there were also some other health health concerns. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I stressed with young people yesterday is don't stress over what we can't control right now. You know, in, in these major incidences of uncertainty and fear, you know, it's easy for all of us to get anxious. And, you know, that goes for, for I think, probably everybody across the country. And it really is finding the things that you can control and that you can do something about in this moment. So if we don't know how long this is gonna go on. So, you know, what I even tell people just in my own life is stop stressing about what you you don't have, what you can't have right now, and focus on what you do have and you can do. Um, and so if young people can't go visit a loved one, what can they do? Are virtual chats an option? Um, if, if they have a loved one in a nursing home, the nursing home may be overwhelmed right now um, because their staff might be limited. They All these extra precautions people have to take. The staff who may be happy to help um, facilitate some kind of virtual chat may not have the ability right now. Can you write letters? Can you create um, a memory book? Um, that's something we do at camp where it's it's sort of like a photo album, but also at times you can have other families write in memories and stories and you know different things to to help um, feel connected to a loved one. And so, really, I think the biggest message is you know trying to use you know mindfulness, if that's what we want to call it, to focus in on what we can control trying to breathe through the moments where we get anxious about the things that are out of our control, because right now there's a lot of uncertainty, um, and really being diligent and um, proactive about connecting with others. You know, so many times in our life, we're busy. Things are moving a, a million miles a minute, and you sort of forget to check in with that friend. And, you know, so for myself, I sort of make lists of people I feel like I need to check in with daily. And that's something I'm doing, just how are things going? Are you okay? 
you know, what do you need anything? It's taking the time to schedule those video chats, um, to schedule those phone calls. Um, you know, there's all different kinds of ways to do it. And I think, you know, it's, it's doing the little things. None of us can do anything big right now. And we don't know when will that'll change. Um, so sometimes it's, it's the little things and, and finding those things that keep us all calm in it, whatever that is, if it's reading, finding a new hobby, learning a new skill while we're all sort of trapped in our houses, um, but finding ways to find calm in, in all this uncertainty is key. And that looks a little different for everyone. What are some of the, the issues that, you know, people have brought to you maybe in the last couple of weeks or, or concerns, or have you been surprised perhaps that, you know, maybe it's because it's such a resilient group, the HD community that, you know, maybe they're better, they're coping better than the rest of the general public has been. I think that's probably true in some ways um, because there's so much uncertainty with HD. Uncertainty is something many of our, you know, many individuals in the HD community have, have lived with for a lot of their lives. Um, but I think it is, I think it's the, the isolation. I think particularly depending on if somebody has a family member um, in one, what one, what one might consider the later stages, there's a lot of fear about when this will end um, and what they can do for that loved one. And like I said, there isn't, there isn't one answer, but it's finding what makes them feel connected. If they can do video chats, if they, you know, again, it all depends on, on what, you know, if they're in a facility, what they can handle right now. Cause I think everyone's, you know, a little, a little swamped. And if they can't do it for the loved one, can they, can they give back in some other way that helps them feel fulfilled? You know, I think there's, there's so much goodness going on in the world with all this sort of bad with coronavirus. You know, you see neighbors helping each other out. You see, um, you know, people finally connecting maybe with their elderly neighbor to, to go to the grocery store for them because they don't want their elderly neighbor to, to leave the house. And so I think that's all what we see already in the HD community, always the first ones to help out in a crisis. Um, and so again, I think it's, trying to find ways to feel connected to those loved ones if they can't physically connect with them. And, you know, it's the hard part is, you know, there's so many different pieces of news coming out about this, that it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong. Um, it's hard to know what, what, what rules we're supposed to be following, because again, looking just across the US, you know, every state is look is in a different place with this. And so it can be really hard to under, understand what you can and can't do or what you should and shouldn't do. Um, but within each family, what is, again, it's going back to what is best for your family. If it means completely self-isolating to protect your family, then that's what's best for you. If it is, um, again, using different modes of communication because that's what's available right now. It's doing that. And so it's finding the things that bring a little bit of peace each day um, because we, you know, we're, we're all in this together and that goes for, for really everyone in the world right now. Um, and then again, really being proactive about that communication because I think day to day, our lives are always so busy. We sort of sometimes put those relationships on a back burner of, oh, I'll call them tomorrow, but being really proactive to check in on the people we care about um, helps all of us. It feels like we're connected, 
you know, so if I'm worrying about someone, I not, I not only know that they're safe, but that's going to calm my own anxiety down as well as even if I feel like I'm doing okay in, in isolation or quarantine or with less socialization than normal, it gives you some socialization, even if you didn't know you needed it. You, you mentioned that the Congress, um, you know, for obvious reasons, has been postponed to next year. Is there anything, and maybe it's too early to say at this point, but is there anything that um, HDO as an organization is is looking to implement or, or do differently, you know, during these times to, to help connect people more frequently? We, like I said, we're opening these weekly Zoom chats. So the information's on our Facebook page. So they're just open links. Right now we've got them at twice a week. Um, so we did one yesterday and I had a handful of young people join. Um, and it was great. We didn't, you know, we talked a little bit about what was going on and how people were handling it. Um, but, you know, they got off talking about tattoos and whatever else. And, you know, but it was nice to just be able to, we used Zoom. So we had video and it was nice to just see people, right. And kind of check in and have those moments of, you know, this is, this is how I'm doing. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to focus on, on, coronavirus or, or HD, but just bring back that connection. Cause so many of these young people know each other, whether they've actually met in person or through all these virtual ways that we have. Um, and so we'll be hosting that twice a week. Again, we are looking to see what we can do this year um, because our Congress is now postponed to March of 2021. And I know I've been speaking with um, Jennifer Simpson at HDSA, who runs all their youth programming, about what we can do for young people right now um, with postponement or events being made virtual. And so I think as we figure out what might work best, we'll keep posting things. Um, you know, so I always encourage if young people are like, this is what I, you know, what I want, reach out to us because if we can help implement something or, um, create something where we're always, we want to hear what the community needs. And, and that's how we develop a lot of our programs and services. It's hearing what folks need or want and seeing if, you know, if we're the right person to, to make that happen. Um, but I think the weekly chats will be a, a, a big help and they're, they're very informal, which I find young people tend to like, so they can pop on if they want, they don't need to register, you know, if they remember, they remember. If they forget, um, I'm always available individually. So if a young person does want to talk, you know, my information's all online. Again, as long as they call and I'm not busy, I will answer my phone and we can chat. We can set up video chats. Um, so HDO is lucky in the fact that a lot of our work is virtual and was before this. So we're continuing um, those services. So we will set up virtual chats with folks. We have our Facebook support group going. We'll have these Zoom chats. Um, and we're looking up just for more opportunities for young people to connect during this time because we know that HD can be isolating as it is. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're providing opportunities for connection and support during all of this. You mentioned HDO is, is largely virtual anyways. I was going to ask you, how are, how are you and your colleagues um, getting along in this and, and, and dealing with this? Um, you know, again, we, because we're spread out all over the world, we obviously do a lot of our work virtually. Um, you know, the biggest change for me is that we've suspended sort of meeting with families and young people in person again, to stop the spread and flatten the curve and all those, those phrases we're hearing. Um, and so I think for some families, that's a little bit of a change. Although again, you know, when I check in with 
young people that have come to camp in the past. We do that via phone or Skype or, you know, whatever virtual platform that we're using. And so we're really lucky in the fact that it doesn't change too much of our day-to-day. We're still able to do a lot of the work that we, we do. We're still looking at, you know, the future and what programs we want in the future and what, um, what we can do to continue to have um, young people included in the HD community and services geared towards them. And so, you know, if anything, we're, we're plugging away, you know, it was a letdown for us to have to postpone Congress, but it was obviously the right move. And we will have just as an amazing, if not even bigger event, you know, in March. And so, um, you know, we've got basically all our speakers confirmed to come for next year. So if anything, it'll just, you know, be even more excitement built up because we've had to wait a little bit longer for it. Um, But it's something, having this event in person is really important to us that in-person support for young people and young adults is so vital. Um, And so it's something that we are committed to and we are raring to go for, for 2021. And in the meantime, we're just trying to make it a point to keep checking in with each other. Um, Because again, all of us are spread out. So what, what, are we're allowed to do just even within the confines of our own city is different, um, you know, versus shelter in place and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I feel very fortunate that I am able to still work through this um, because we know it's impacted a lot of families and individuals um, with businesses shutting down. So I just personally feel very fortunate. Um, and so we want to just be able to do what we can in this time to support families that we work with. Well, I'm really appreciative of the, you know, the dedication and the, the passion that everybody brings um, to HDO. And, and I really appreciate your insights um, and thoughts that you were able to convey with, with our audience. Um, Chandler, before we wrap up, there, I, there were a couple questions, um, a couple other questions I want to ask you, you know, uh, about your, your career and, yeah. and personal. Um, first is, is there one specific person that you really would identify as a mentor that that has you know really guided you um, down this path and and really helped you evolve into the person you've become today oh man wow you just just threw that one at the end huh (laughs) um i mean there's so many people you know within the hd community there are so many people i look to um when i have questions i mean not just on my own team i mean cat Matt, Bonnie, they're, you know, BJ, they're all people that have really helped guide me. And I think made me feel really confident in my abilities to work in the community. Um, You know, but I am just lucky to, to be in a place where I get to work with, you know, some of, some of the the greatest minds in the HD community. Um, You know, I, I always joke with, with Martha, like anytime I get to do work with her, because, you know, she wins all these you know, awards, you know, person of the year at that. And just being able to know that I can call her when I have a question is pretty, pretty amazing on my end. Um, but even coming into this, um, my mentor, uh, her name's Laura Losner. She, I have worked with her on and off for, I think a decade now in different capacities. And she's just someone I always look to for, for guidance, whether it's career advice or, you know, social work advice. Um, but we've become friends over the years. And so I, I think back, um, you know, just all the different pieces of, of advice she's given me over the year to, you know, take chances on career moves and um, to just sort of open myself to, to different opportunities. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of people, when I joined HTO, it was small. We were only a couple of years off the ground. You know, most people get a little nervous with that. It was a pilot program. So, it, you know, didn't know how long it was going to last. Um, but I got to say, I told you so in the long run, which is one of my favorite things to say to people um, when they have doubts about things that I feel very strongly about. So, um, you know, I, I'm really lucky that I have been really fortunate to just work and know some really amazing people um, since starting HDO and before that, that have helped ensure that I'm supported as I, you know, sort of make my own journey through, through life. Oh, that's awesome. And then last question, what would you consider as your proudest professional accomplishment? I think that would have to be camp at this point. Um, and it's funny, I, I don't think I do anything more than actually like get it off the ground, like the actual logistics, like make sure flights are booked, try not to mess them up because the magic that happens is, is with the volunteers and the campers. I think really my role is facilitating the fact that making it happen each time. Um, but the, what have it's hard to explain to anybody who hasn't been what happens at camp, but watching these kids literally, and I, they hate when I call them kids cause some of them are <laughs> over 18, but these young people transform in the matter of days, you know, you'll have someone come in arms crossed, eyes down, one word answers, you know, and by the end of the camp, they're the one, you know, hugging everyone, grabbing everyone for the group photo, you know, posting everything, sort of the, the ringleader of everything. And watching that transformation has, brings so much joy, I think, to, to anybody who gets to witness it. It is something that you, it's hard to talk about, like if you haven't seen it, but I think being able to facilitate that moment for I don't even know how many kids now, so many young people. I think that's, that's probably, if I have to leave one legacy at the end of all of this, it, that's the one I'd like to be remembered for. Well, Chandler, thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate you having you on. And uh, this, I think families and, and young people will enjoy listening to what you had to say on this episode. Absolutely. No, thank you guys for, for always having us. And we, we, HDO loves HSG. We love our partnership with you guys. We love being able to continue working with you guys. And so we're looking forward to as soon as we can all reconnect in person again. And, you know, if there are any families who listen to this and need some support, they can go to hdo.org or they can email me and it's just chandler at hdyo.org. That concludes my interview with Chandler Swope. If you're feeling overwhelmed by the news stream or isolated because of social distancing, there are little things you can do to help take control of your situation. And if you're a young person impacted by HD and have questions that you might want to ask in a more private setting or know someone who could benefit from their programs, then I strongly encourage you to reach out to HDO. My thanks once again to Chandler for joining us today. Uh, again, I, I want to make a pitch or a plea, if you will, for guests on future podcast episodes. If you're a researcher, advocate, or provider working in Huntington disease and have an interesting story that you want to share, or if you know someone you think we should profile in a future episode, please feel free to reach out to me at kevin.gregory at hsglimited.org. 
Let us know what you're working on or how your efforts can help make a difference for those affected by Huntington disease. If you enjoyed these interviews, we'd certainly love to put out more episodes during this time so that you have more to listen to. Until next time on the HD Insights Podcast, I'm Kevin Gregory. Thank you for spending your time with us. As always, stay safe, be well, look out for each other, and we look forward to bringing you our next episode. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the HD Insights Podcast. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you automatically get the latest episodes to your device. Please rate and review this podcast with your feedback so we can continue providing the best possible content. If you are interested in providing financial support for the work needed to produce this content, you can do so by becoming an ongoing sponsor or through a tax-deductible donation. To do so, please email us at info at hsglimited.org. That's I-N-F-O at hsglimited.org. Or by calling our toll-free number at 1-800-487-7671. Thank you for joining us on the HD Insights Podcast from the Huntington Study Group.